The early months of a baby's life consist of crucial neurodevelopmental windows that lay the groundwork for later outcomes. So we're on a mission to help parents and professionals look at development through a holistic lens. By creating homes that promote connection through play, we can make a huge difference in our little ones for years to come. Toddlerhood is an intimidating phase of development for so many parents. What we usually think of when we hear the word toddler is tantrums and meltdowns galore. And this can be so frustrating as parents and honestly can really get our blood boiling when your child is just being so beyond unreasonable that it seemed to just have departed from planet Earth and checked out completely. But as we talk about today, simply managing our expectations during this phase of development really helps us as the adult to not be so emotionally driven like her kids are at this point on the developmental continuum. Something else worth mentioning is that when our toddlers are having fits of frustration and maybe are even being explosive, we need to first check the basics. Are they hungry? Are they tired? Lonely? Thirsty? Sick? Reflecting on how we ourselves feel and how short we can be with other people when we are feeling any of these things as grown-ups can really help us to be empathetic towards our kids. Um, it's pretty unreasonable to ask that a small, underdeveloped brain show self-control and self-regulation um, when they're suffering from these things. When, you know, we as the grown-ups really have a hard time with this too. Because sometimes we lose our cool and, you know, think of road rage. Or when you're hangry, you know, those these kinds of things. So just like managing that expectation is a really cool thing. And I don't know that we explicitly said that on this episode. So I did just want to touch on that here. This episode also covers some strategies to support you through the common battles that we see with toddlerhood, including potty training, meal times, and of course tantrums and how to manage those a little bit better. With strategies to de-escalate situations, we can prevent challenging routines from becoming triggers that set kids off on an even more vicious cycle of pure emotion. And as always, we talk about these concepts of warmth and gentleness and how they still hold true as being foundational, even during these oftentimes difficult years. We can't overemphasize the role of early bonding and fostering that strong parent-child connection all throughout their life, and it's so true that children who are more closely bonded to their parents are far less likely to want to defy and far more likely to want to connect and preserve that bond all throughout life. Toddlerhood gets such a bad reputation, but I honestly love it so much. It is the most incredible thing to watch your little one learn so rapidly and develop so many new skills during this time. And for all of the stereotypically bad things that there are about raising toddlers, there are infinitely more wonderful and precious things to reap from this phase. So this time really is so unique too in that you even see more of your child's personality blossoming as they begin to develop more language skills to express what's actually going on in their busy little brains. So with that, we hope that you love this one. Welcome to the Dr. Nurture Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Macy Bassler, Dr. Physical Therapy and Certified Breastfeeding Specialist. I'm here today with my lovely co-host, Dr. Kaylee Archie. She is a doctor of social work and a licensed clinical social worker, and she is going to be guiding us today in a conversation about independence and fostering independence in our little ones. And this especially comes into play whenever we're talking about toddlerhood. So that's kind of what we'll be honing in on most of most of for for most of our conversation today. And so I'm going to turn the reins over to her and let her dive into a little bit of Erickson's stages of development and that early to toddlerhood stage starting about 18 months, I believe, Kaylee. Yes, 18 months to um, about um, three years. And just a little recap, in one of our previous episodes, you know, we've been talking and touching on some of these Erickson stages of development and 
in one of our first one, we talked about stage one, which was trust versus mistrust. So this is infancy to birth to 18. And we talked a lot about how um, environment is huge in, huge in this, providing caregivers, providing for their children so that they, um, because, and making sure they have everything they need to survive is food, love, warmth, safety, nurturing. And um, we kind of talked about how that was important in fostering that regulation and just that stability in the home in that first stage. So if you missed out on that one, um, go back in and check that one out. And today we're going to look at stage two of Erickson's theory of psychosocial development. And that is, like we were saying, it is toddler years around 18 months to three years. And this one is titled Autonomy versus Shame and Doubt. And so, like I said, this takes place during early childhood. It's focused on children developing a greater sense of their own personal control. So autonomy, if you've never heard of that word, it's a fancy word, but it just means it's a person's ability to self-govern themselves, make their own decisions, and act on their own values and interests. So they kind of develop their own beliefs, their own values, and they're able to act and carry those things out. So anytime we say autonomy, that's what we're talking about, is just trying to develop that child's will and their ability to make decisions on their own and have confidence in that. So like Macy was saying, independence is huge at this level. They're starting to gain some of this independence and they're starting to perform basic actions on their own, simple decisions about what they prefer. And it's okay at this stage to let them start to take these basic actions and simple decisions. We're going to go a little bit into that. But, but, but when we allow children to make choices and gain control, we are giving them the environment and the stability that they need to develop overall this sense of autonomy. So one of the big things in this stage is potty training. So Macy, tell us a little bit about potty training and what that really means kind of from your aspect and this stage of development. Well, I just want to say that I'm no uh, expert on potty training because I've never, I have a nine-year-old, but <laughs> she came to us pre-potty trained. Um, and my other ones are so little that they've not yet, you know. Right. They're just getting into that. that. Yes. Well, Chip is little, but Ma Lucy's definitely in that toddlerhood <laughs> stage. Yes, so. but I, um, I do work with some potty training, you know, with the kids that I see and, um, I don't know if I could tell you much about like the psychology of it, but I can tell you some hacks that are that are definitely beneficial for setting them up for success in this. And, you know, like you were saying, um, this is just like a really big expression of being able to um, express their independence. And I, I, don't, I don't know how you would best say it, but just like feeling like they can exert some control over their circumstances. Um, which is like surprisingly a, a very important part of, you know, developing mm -hmm. um, other, you know, more foundational skills that just build on that. But anyways, um, something that is pretty big whenever you're trying to get a kid potty training is the choice of potty. And some kids might just be champions, but most of the time, you know, it's a, it's a little bit weird for them to get used to. And I've found that having a potty chair that you can sit in the floor is the best thing to go with, as opposed to the ones that you can sit on top of the toilet and, you know, they like climb up there. Um, I see a lot of kids that have gravitational insecurities and that kind of thing, just kind of meaning that they especially like to have their two feet planted on the ground underneath them and feeling secure in that way. And so that's another reason that the uh, floor potty might be ideal. It also gives you just um, that constant reminder uh, and kind of a cue that like, um, you know, you see the potty and make the association, that kind of thing. Um, another thing that, I mean, I won't go into every single, you know, big thing about potties, but just like another really big point is that you really need to wait until the child is ready. And, um, and that might not look like what you think it does. I will give you a perfect example. And my two-year-old, you know, she has, um, 
we, we often think of language skills being one of the signs of readiness and, you know, being able to talk about the potty and all this and all that. Um, but she is just like, you know, language skills off the charts. She'll talk you up one side and down the other plain as day. Um, but she is so fearful of the potty for whatever reason. Um, and every time we try it, it's just a fight. And she just like does not want to take that. Um, you know, she just like has no interest in the whole like I can do it by myself type of, you know, attitude. Um, she's just like fine to go hide in a corner and poop in her diaper. <laughs> and, you know, she'll tell you when she's done, which means that she probably is getting closer. But if they are fighting you to sit on the potty, then then don't push it because you can actually create more of an aversion. So I mentioned the language. More common signs of readiness would be, you know, starting to vocalize more about to telling you, indicating to you, signing even that they went in their pants or pointing at it. And then, you know, trying to sit on the potty. And another one is um, just showing you signs of wanting to do things more on their own in other areas. So like, well, for example, I mentioned that Lucy, my two-year-old, she's getting closer, I think, to being able to master the potty or maybe not master it, but sit on it without screaming. And she said to me today, no, no, mommy, I can do it by myself. She was talking about going down the stairs, but she was going down the stairs and didn't want me to hold her hand. And she said, I can do it by myself, mommy. That is another sign of readiness that they are showing more and more of those, um, you know, just like, let me figure it out type things and I can help and I have something to contribute. So those are some things to look for. And I just want to reiterate that pushing is counterproductive and really it, it will come with time as long as you give them, you know, frequency and repetition opportunities and, you know, make it a conversation, but not like a, you have to do this or else, you know. And so that's why in this stage, that's why we, we talked about it a little more in depth um, is because that, that is an important part of their um, development. And I, and I like how you brought up how it can be countered because that's exactly where I was going was, um, you know, if, in the beginning, this, ta- this stage is titled autonomy versus shame and doubt. So if you think about just what you were saying, you know, if your child is not ready to do potty training, which is fine, then we don't want to force them or shame them because that's going to create that sense of shame and doubt that we're trying to avoid at this stage. Um, doubt in themselves, doubt in, you know, their ability to make decisions and things like that. So I think that was great advice to let them kind of voice uh, and show you when they're ready and picking up, being aware of like you're giving them good tips on being aware of what that looks like when they're starting to become ready. Um, because like we always talk about, we have to have realistic expectations of the kids we work with and, and the kids in our home. Um, I think we start to get tripped up when we have those unrealistic expectations. Like we've always talked about, for example, um, I, I was talking with a therapist the other day and great parents, but they like, and it's nothing to say. Some people just, that's, that was the purpose of, that's the purpose of this podcast. We just want to put out education because there are tons of amazing parents out there that just genuinely don't know the stages of development and that's fine. Like, and that's why we want to help educate. And so this therapist I was talking to, one of my colleagues, she was working with a family, um, great parents. They just didn't understand the stages of development with which like I said especially if you're new time parents like they get that that's why we're trying to bridge that gap of education here but they were trying to potty train their nine-month-old and they were getting frustrated with their nine-month-old because they weren't being potty trained yet and so the therapist had to kind of go back and like teach them some of the skills and development and things like that um but it was just some you know they were getting frustrated and but it was just an easy fix to realize, and it's kind of what we talked about earlier, that it's normal for kids to wet the bed until they're seven years old. And I don't think a lot of parents know that too. And they get really frustrated with their four and five and six year old that keep wetting the bed. And and sometimes, don't get me wrong, sometimes it's a sign of a physical issue or it could be a sign of abuse. Um, That's definitely important to recognize and to kind of evaluate, but also 
if none of those things are present, it could just be developing a little later. Yeah, and the the whole concept of modifying your expectations to be appropriate to what is, you know, age expected, that makes a huge difference for your level of frustration as a parent and like how you handle in the moment stressors. So like <laughs> the potty training one is a good example. But like, you know, say for instance, like toddler tantruming, just to know that a lot of that is a normal expression of knowing that that's normal and not like a, my kid is out to get me and is trying to destroy me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It really makes a difference in like how you can help yourself keep your composure yeah. whenever things are kind of difficult or, you know, you think your kid should be making more progress in an area than what they really are. Yeah. Even in your own home, develop at different rates like we've talked about, and that's fine. Um, once it gets out of that yeah. stage of normal development, then you can get them evaluated. And still, even if they need to get evaluated by first steps, like a service you provide or speech therapy or OT or mental health therapy, like me, behavioral therapy, that doesn't mean they will still be able to catch up with that. That's just an extra tool to help them get back on track. There's no shame in getting those services either. If your child is delayed developmentally, that's what they're for. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I would say everybody, everybody could use therapy. <laughs> yeah. Exercise, whether it's, you know, physical yeah. or mental for you. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So why don't we talk a little bit now about mealtime tips for parents? Because another hard thing with toddlerhood and the whole concept of uh, independence is picky eaters and the fights that go down at mealtimes. So I don't know if you have anything that you want to preface this with as far as like what we're looking for here as far as relationship. Well, one, (laughs) so I want to preface this with, um, you know, and this goes from toddlerhood into early childhood. Like when we talk about mealtimes, we talk about some of these different things and getting into choices um, because I work with a lot of behavioral issues with kids and stuff. And, and a, a question I get often is when we start talking about self-regulation and the importance of co-regulation and helping toddlers into early childhood with tantrums, uh, what is the difference between like them legitimately having an emotional meltdown where they need me to help them self-regulate? And what's the difference in just like them manipulating me, you know, because sometimes ki- there is times where kids, especially if they have any behavioral issues, it's hard to decipher that. And um, so I like to give the example of a meltdown would be if a child was really hard building something and their other sibling comes through, knocks it all down. It's all over the floor, all their hard work. They may have a meltdown and they would need you to step in, help them regulate that, take some deep breaths, talk through what their feelings are. And then maybe you could help them rebuild it, help them cope with that. An example of manipulation would be Let's say your child wants to eat pizza for the fourth night in a row and they announce, you say no, and they announce, I hate you. You never serve anything I like. I'm just not eating at all. They're probably using interpret or manipulation because that is not, that's not true. And, you know, if, if they, as soon as they get their way, if they're instantly all better without any recovery time, that's a pretty also clear sign that they were that is a manipulation tactic that, and kids do that subconsciously. It's kind of like just experiences they've been through, but that's why we want to talk about some of these stages of development because um, it'll help the parents and the children kind of navigate these confusing emotions. So like I said, the, the, if they, as soon as they get their way, they're instantly better. I can kind of give you an idea of that. That's just kind of a little distinction between meltdown and manipulation but yeah i just want to say that yeah. before we get in the meal time because i think sometimes because we're going to talk a lot about choices and i think it's important to kind of know the difference in that especially maybe not as much toddlerhood but especially as you get more into like three to five three to you know and then five to ten yeah i was going to say that example sounded like pretty advanced for a toddler but you know yeah. what you do what you do in toddlerhood sets the stage for even later on so you know, it comes down, they say, choose your battles. And I mean, it really is true. Um, and whenever you set a, a standard, hold to it, you know, um, because whenever you start giving in every time that they have, you know, a fit in the floor or whatever, that 
triggers in their mind. Oh, when I do X behavior, Y happens. And, you know, it can turn into a cycle. And I just want to take that for a second all the way back to infancy. And we talked about the strong attachment and fostering the the bond between parent and child. Um, And that's where, you know, all these things that we see in toddlerhood, it starts in infancy and setting that strong foundation and that strong connection because kids who have a strong relationship with their, with their parent, they are far less likely to want to disappoint the parent and they will want to like make them happy. Kids naturally really do want to, uh, please their mom or dad, um, not looking for fights, but there are some things that we can do as parents unknowingly that, you know, set them off on a, a bad cycle or it, yeah, we can just get ourselves and our kids into less than ideal situations by, you know, not investing the time that we need to with them. Yeah. Anyways, I'll, I'll leave that yeah. there. That could be yeah. I think that was a good clarification. <laughs> yeah. I think that was good though, because like I said, that was a little too advanced, but I was trying to I think you tied it really well for me back to, we can kind of set the stage for some of this stuff. So it's good to kind of be aware of, like you were saying, what that kind of looks like as you move forward too. And if you have older kids, maybe you're recognizing some of these developmental stages and how it's played into that. Yeah. I will say this too. It's, it's very interesting to think about without getting into too many details, but my oldest daughter, she's nine now adopted from foster care. And I think that, you know, this toddlerhood period was one of the key points in time where there was you know, significant abuse and I don't even know the extent of everything, but it is just interesting to think about how she acts now. And it, it certainly seems like there's so much trying to, you know, seek out the autonomy and independence and, you know, just trying to get control over situations. And maybe that's a little bit more um, in like the three, three to five year old range, that stage of development. This is your area, Kaylee, but. Yeah, no, that's this, that that control, wanting, wanting to have your own sense of control. And here's the thing. If you were, if you're a child that's been abused, think about how powerless they probably felt or any kind of trauma that made them feel totally powerless. So if that especially happened during this stage, that can definitely affect their, sorry, go ahead. No, that, that was, what I was gonna, that can really affect their you know, ability to effectively develop that sense of control and autonomy. Yeah. And then you see that too, and in, in moving from wanting to control like their immediate surroundings to wanting to control other people, just mm-hmm. very interesting thing. So that's, you know, big reason why this stuff is really important and um, really being intentional yeah. about the, the situations that, or how you're handling situations in those early years, because it, you know, it's kind of like development's kind of like a stepping stone. It's not super linear, but it definitely, um, it's like steps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is. And if they get kind of messed up and like I said, nobody's childhood is perfect. Nobody, we're not saying that, but, um, it's important to recognize these things, especially as you're working with kids and raising kids, um, because it does all matter and it does all, you know, we believe that it all ties together and you know going back to that control because this is a sense of independence and control and um if they don't get that at this stage they will be left with this sense of just inadequacy and self-doubt and they can start to develop low self-esteem and they could also develop this sense of powerlessness and like you said i think sometimes this is just my own opinion and how i interpret it with kids i work with when they don't have that and they've experienced that sense of power and powerlessness due to trauma instability or abuse of any kind um they they feel so powerless i think they subconsciously try to exert power things just because that makes them feel safe because if you think about uh, they didn't feel safe in those other situations in their development and so they are just trying to feel safe any way they can. And I don't think kids are malicious in that. I, I think they are just subconsciously doing that uh, because of the way they have developed. So, yeah, I think it's. Uh, yeah, it's definitely like definitely a survival instinct. It's, it's so mm-hmm. interesting how the brain just rewires to try to, you know, let itself survive. 
comes down to like a lot of those primal brain functions like we talked a lot about last week and the whole fight or fly and even the polyvagal theory stuff Mm -hmm. but yeah it's all super interesting and super important and we still haven't talked about mealtime so we better do that yes (laughs) so we kind of preface with it, but it's very important to not get just sucked into toddler wars whenever it's a mealtime. You don't want to create like a negative association with mealtime. You think about the whole social aspect of food. Ideally, you're sitting at the table with your family, conversing, uh, sharing about your day and just having a meal at this special gathering time where you can really connect as a family. So you really want to kind of tread lightly with it and you know as frustrating as it can be whenever you have a picky eater that's kind of like a psychopath you might think sometimes um it's very important to keep your cool gentle tones and you know not rash threats and intense bribery that kind of thing um so one thing that you might be able to do if you, you're having the specific issue of a kid not wanting to eat anything except maybe a couple of food items, say mac and cheese and nuggets, for example, speaking for a friend here, um, something you can try is food chaining. So sneaking a little tiny bit of a non-preferred food into a bite of the preferred food and then like gradually increase that amount over time as they get kind of more and more acclimated to it. Um, I don't, I don't know that that's the formal definition of food chaining, but that is what I mean by that. Um, you can also try, um, I think food chaining more traditionally is like having a food item that a kid won't eat. Um, but taking a different but similar food or even the same food in like a different form and trying to get them to eat that and then like changing so say like applesauce and then they'll eat the applesauce but not like take a bite of an apple so so you try the applesauce and then over time have like chunky mushed apples and then move into like apple slices or cubes and then slices and then you know you have the full apple or or whatever it is um so just like playing with some whatever it's actually called i'm not a speech therapist or feeding therapist but um just kind of playing with some like playing some toddler mind games and seeing what you can have success with um sometimes putting things on your plate but not on your toddlers, but you know, your plate being next to theirs, they might pick something up off of your plate and try it. Whereas, you know, I'm sure so many have experiences where if you put something on your toddler's plate, they have a meltdown that you put a piece of green something on their plate and they'll you know, throw it off or whatever and refuse to eat it. But I've, I really found that if I put something on my plate and, um, you know, just eat like normal and that my, my toddler will reach over and like grab it and like take a taste or whatever. And a lot of times she actually likes it. But if I put that same thing on her plate, she's like, no, thank you. (laughs) Um, so that's another thing to consider. I mean, isn't this just so funny? You sound like it's like reverse psychology. Yeah. Well, it is. And I, I have a lot of examples. I, and I gave an example previously, but um, you do just kind of have to like work with the kids and, you know, be creative in how you introduce things to them. Um, and I think it's okay. I think it's okay to have that. Like I said, I gave the example of my cousin the other day. He had trouble going out on the soccer field. And so, we had him put a mask on because he, he told him he couldn't um, be seen if he had the mask <laughs> on on the field because he was so nervous about everybody watching him. And that helped him get acclimated and have the confidence to where he doesn't need it anymore. So um, yeah, I think it's okay to be creative in those instances to help them gain that confidence, yeah. whatever you need to do. 
Yeah. Well, and I just want to say something too about reverse psychology. I said that, but I actually, actually am not a huge fan of like explicit reverse psychology where mm-hmm. it's like, don't you eat that yeah. apple, you know, right. because at the end of the day, you want a child who will follow your instructions mm-hmm. and um, obey. And trust you. And especially if there's, if yes, and if there's like a safety concern and you, it's like, stop or come here or something where you really need them to listen, like, and you've trained them in reverse psychology, like, I just think that that's going down a bad path. So yeah, to, I think that's a good know, tip. Avoid that kind of thing whenever possible. Yeah. Um, but back to the food stuff, another thing that you can try to just like get more nutrition in your kid, because that's really at the end of the day, what we're trying to do here is, you know, raise healthy, well-nurtured kids um, is seeking out alternatives to commonly, um, to foods that they commonly like, like say mac and cheese, you can find a whole grain noodle by chance, or, you know, even a less terrible for you mac and cheese. Almost all of the time, anything that you make from scratch is going to be better for them as far as like preservatives and MSGs and that kind of thing that you really don't want your little one consuming. Um, in, in an ideal world, of course, you know, reality happens and we all love craft, but you can also gradually reduce the sugar that you put in things that you are cooking at home or like, uh, like desserts that you make by hand, um, or just using alternate sweeteners like honey. Um, if your child's older than a year old, yeah, trying to use honey or like raw, authentic maple syrup are good, like sugar alternatives. Um, whenever you have sugary drinks, like even like apple juice, that is a lot of sugar. That's, it's a fruit, but it's best consumed as an actual fruit and not as its juice. But it's hard to get toddlers to drink things. And so putting a little bit more water in their apple juice is a great way to get more water in their system and to not have quite the sugar load. Something else you could try is having novel utensils that you use for them to try and eat their food. Kids love novelty, especially babies and toddlers. And so that's another strategy. You can try having good distractions during mealtime. So like an engaging game with the family or even like having music playing along it music singing in the background on you know <laughs> the cd player or whatever whatever it is we play music on these days and you know you sing along with them that kind of thing make it a bonding experience but also having it be distracting enough to get some food into your kids or even like food theme songs i don't know like the eat, eat apples and bananas and uh, that kind of thing if your kid falls for that sort of deal um but maybe even if you're like really having issues getting your kid to eat, like a very severe case, because I, I tend to like shy away from this strategy. Um, but having a screen is something you can try. I'm sure many of you, if you're having issues, have tried it already. Um, so, you know, at least trying to keep one meal a day free from screen time so that you can try and make it a relational thing. Um But if there's a special show that your kid only gets to enjoy at mealtimes and you just really need them to get food inside of their body without fight, then, you know, that is something to think about also. No, yeah, I um, I was just going to say another good thing is and to, to foster just like hopefully some eating habits and but also within that, like at mealtimes, but also within that fostering a sense of independence and autonomy that they can make hopefully good choices for themselves is giving them uh, choices in food. So um, obviously if the homely eat mac and cheese and nuggets, you probably don't want that to be in that choice because they're going to pick that. You know what I'm saying? If you're trying to get them to experience like other foods, but um, maybe two foods that, you know, they kind of like both of them. They're not too bad for them. You know, Um, let them have the choice in which one they eat because that and don't give them too many choices just give them like two maybe three at max because too many choices overwhelm them so just give them two choices and let and let them pick and that's okay i think um 
that will help them not only that'll help them feel a little bit more in control and if they feel a little bit more in control of the situation they may be more willing to try um you know things but that just helps them gain this sense of independence like we've been talking about this whole time and um autonomy and like you know we don't want to shame our kids when they won't eat what we want them to or you know things like that we would just try to foster an environment that helps them uh, acquire those skills on their own and uh, you can also translate this choice to uh, toy preferences. So giving them, I think you touched on this, Macy, in a previous episode. We don't want to have too many toys out because that can be overwhelming and they don't want to play with any of them, you know. Uh, sometimes it is good just to have a, a couple. And I even had a child um, last week in my office that that was one of the issues. She didn't want to play with any of her toys. The more we talked about it, it was because she just literally had so many. She didn't know you know, she didn't want to play with any of them. She just wanted to get on her um, her tablet and watch a movie. So we made a plan to where she was going to section her toys up in separate sections and kind of like rotate and play with them so she didn't feel so overwhelmed and to try to keep her from being on her screen so much. Um, but anyway, letting them choose between a few toy preferences and also clothing. I know it's hard sometimes as parents to give up that control over what they're going to wear because you don't know what they're going to choose to wear, but giving them that autonomy and, and maybe you could pick out two outfits for them and have them choose one or the other um, and let them start to dress themselves. Let them, like you were talking about Macy, let them feed themselves. Even if they fail at these things, um, that is fine. That's part of this process is failing. They're going to fail and that's okay. Um, we, we, if, when they fail, that is an opportunity for us to teach them how to fail well and how that failure is really an opportunity to learn. Cause if we don't, if we scold them for everything, if we shame them when they fail or don't do something right, if we try to do everything for them and don't let them do things on their own, cause we know they might not do it well or they might fail at it. We're not creating that safe environment and that sense of autonomy and independence that we're talking about uh what we're creating is that shame that self-doubt that low self-esteem and i think that fear of rejection later on too and feel failure so let them feed themselves let them choose their own toys let them explore their surroundings as uh safe and appropriate like you were saying macy you gave a good example earlier lucy wanting to walk down the stairs without your hand right obviously you were right behind her uh, so you were there to safeguard her, but you did let her have, you did let her explore that new thing, even though you didn't know if she was able to do that. And I think that's, that's good because she's trying to foster that sense of independence and not saying, no, you need mommy's hand, you know, like you need me to keep you safe. Cause then when we give them that message, um, they, they start to believe that and they don't think they can do things on their own and they don't have confidence or independence and just, a also a side note um, and i'd love to hear your thoughts on some of this is and this is just i'm not a parent yet um but like i said i work with a lot of kids um but i but i have my own struggles with anxiety and so i know that i have to be self-aware of this when i have kids is if you have any level of anxiety as a parent and I sometimes having kids creates that anxiety within you um you kind of have to be really self-aware that you don't project or always voice all your anxieties on your kids. So like, for example, Macy, in that situation, you probably were a little nervous for Lucy to walk down by herself without your hand. Uh, but it's important that you don't always voice that. And you can say, okay, you know, like mine believes you can definitely do that. I have, you know, I believe it. And I'm here for you if you fall. You know, don't tell, you don't want to say, no, you can't do that. It's too dangerous. You might fall down the steps and hit your head and just like go on on this worst case scenario. You know, we can't do, even though that maybe what's in our head, that intrusive thought maybe in our head, um, we don't need to voice that to their, our kids because they will, if we teach them to fear everything, they will fear everything. And I think sometimes as parents and as adults, um, not just parents, it could be adults that work with kids. Uh, when we voice all of those worst case scenarios that come in our head or, or anxieties and things like that, I think without us realizing it, we don't mean to instill that fear in them, uh, but, but we do. And so we just want to try to, like I said, make our kids confident, let them have high self-esteem and not, and not be afraid of, of failure. And I think that's, that's just an important thing. I, like I said, I personally want to be mindful of as I work with kids and when I have and when I have kids one day to not project all, every fear I have onto uh, yeah. the children that are in my life. So, yeah, I like to um, 
protect from a distance. So, you know, giving them plenty of opportunities to explore, but like being pretty close by to be able to intervene yeah. if something came. Like, for example, on the stairs, this is actually a good one. Um, when kids are coming downstairs, I work on stairs a lot as a physical therapist. And so always coming down the stairs before them so that you're like looking up at them as they try to, you know, even go by themselves. So if they fall, if they fall, they're probably going to fall forward. If they fall back, it's no big deal. If they fall forward, then you're right there. But yeah, there are a lot of little things like that they can do to let them really explore and feel it out and have the opportunity to master skills and be more independent. And yeah, you were talking about the, well, the choices, first of all, I love the two choice thing. I, I use that one a lot. Sometimes I get outsmarted with it though. Um, Cause we were going to talk about clothes. I used to do that with Lucy and now she just, if she knows like what's in her closet and if I've presented two options that she does not like, she takes off running, <laughs> takes off running for the closet. Um, but I mean, honestly, I don't care very much about clothes at all. Cause you know, COVID babies, we haven't gone anywhere for years <laughs> until quite recently. Um, but uh, she, I'll just let her pick what she wants. And, and that's that, you know, I do it with our nine-year-old still because it's just one less fight. And honestly, she's she has so many like sensory sensitivities and that kind of thing. Like she's very affected by textures and uh, I mean, gosh, probably even colors. I mean, she does definitely tends to gravitate towards certain things. Um, but like if there's even the thought of a tag on a garment, like <laughs> she will not wear it and she will scratch and dig and literally, uh, like open skin type deals. So we yeah. let her sleep in her pajamas the night before and wear them to school or her pajamas might be a school outfit. Usually it's comfy, something like leggings and a shirt. Yeah. But she'll go to bed in it. We shower. We do nighttime showers and go to bed in it and then wake up and she's ready to go to school after she brushes her hair and teeth, that kind of thing. Um, and it just cuts down on drama. You know, she picked it out. So anybody who happens to see my child at school, we're on a strict four shirt rotation. And so that is why we do have more shirts, I promise. But, you know. We, the things we do for our kids and to try to preserve the peace. But yeah. Well, but I, I think also, that's a good sorry, point. I, I just want to say, I think that is a good point because I don't want to talk too much about older childhood because I know that we're talking a lot about toddlerhood. But um, I was going to say that too. Uh, when you have children, if they miss some of these stages and they develop some behavioral issues or they have maybe just a really strong will and they're trying to exert some of this control, it is good to give them choices too, because it helps them. Like you're still like, it's kind of like a compromise with your child. Like you, they're still wearing clothes, right. And appropriate clothes to school, things like that. But you're giving them a sense of control that they get to choose. Or like if, it, if it's food, like you're not telling them exactly what they have to do. Um, and they don't feel like you're taking that power and control away from them. You're still getting them to eat kind of what you want, but you're letting them also have, control so that they feel independent and more in control of the situation so i just think choices is good for all stages honestly from toddlerhood on because it fosters that cooperation it fosters them to have confidence that oh like what i do matters like i have a say in this and um continue to foster that higher self-esteem within children so i think that's great like i said i think you could do that even as you know all through like adolescence and things like that in childhood. Yeah. Um, and I, I was just going to add too with the clothing thing and with other tasks also, but you can incorporate a lot of like motor skills into that. Um, so if they are dressing and like wanting to practice more of doing something themselves, you can do either the first part of a task or, you know, the last part, finish it up for them, whatever they can't do on their own. So like, for example, uh, put their head in the shirt hole and let them try and figure out how to get their arms oriented the right way to get through the sleeves 
or whenever you're trying to put on shoes or socks or even like stepping into pant legs, um, have them do it in standing and like they can put a hand on your shoulder with you sitting there on the floor and, um, and single leg balance, even, even having that little bit of support, they're still getting a lot of, a lot of a good balance workout through all of those tiny muscles in their legs and feet. Um, so that's just another way that you can more functionally set them up for success so that whenever, you know, they're 10 years old, they're not still having to sit down to slide their shoes on that kind of thing. Yeah. And then you touched on the toy rotation. I do think that that's really good. Toddlers really do love novelty. Um, and honestly, they love things that are not even toys. So Another thing that you can do to foster independence is let them explore safe household items like your pots, your pans, your jewelry, um, your, you know, junk drawer of tape and weird things like that. <laughs> you know, anything that, which I guess tape has that sharp little jagged edge. Maybe that's not a good idea, but you get what I'm saying. Any, any household items, um, that you say you are just trying to like cook dinner and need a moment of peace. Um, you know, throw in a, sometimes I literally will just open the fridge door and let my 11 month old and two year old stand there and just like pull stuff out <laughs> because I need them to get off of my leg. And so anyways, um, I always say it's good to, uh, to let kids try a task first if they're willing to, and then maybe you can work with them to do like the help please sign, you know, sign language, or if you can, if you know they can say it, that's even better. The help, help please. I always try to teach please, but yeah. Anyways, those are just a few things that, that yeah. you can do. Do you have anything else to add, Kaylee? Well, I just a couple of things. I just wanted to say that I think those were. I think those are really great examples. Um, and I just, the, the choices thing, giving them, and I wanted to touch on too, and toddlers, you can't, you can't do this as much, but even letting them, if they, you know, we also want to work on rewards and consequences as they get more into like other stages as well. But you can even let them choose between two punishments. If they, if they, or consequence, if they make them, if they mess up or something, here's your, choice between two of these or two rewards like letting them still have a sense of control um, over those things too is helpful um, within that and also I, one thing I was thinking as you were talking about the fridge you know let your kid drag everything out and all, and all the things you talked about is I really think a key point parents need to take away from this is we as adults have to give up control to help our children gain a sense of control if we and that is not easy. Um, and I, I know it's not as adults to give up control, especially if you have any level of anxiety. But in order to really foster that for our children, that independence, that autonomy, that high self-esteem and confidence, we have to give up some sense of our own control. And um, and also letting them, letting our children fail. I've touched on that a little bit, but failure is not the enemy. It's, a, it's an important thing that we need as we learn and grow in order to do just that, to learn and grow. And we need to teach our children in this stage, start to teach them, we can continue to teach them how to fail well. And so that it isn't so scary as they get older and they lose confidence, they have lower self-esteem and they're terrified of failure. Um, we, want to, we want to encourage them that failure is fine. It's a normal part, part of growing and learning and teach them how to walk through that when they do fail. And uh, when they don't put on their shirt the right way, right? When you try to, when you put the, their head through there, when they don't feed themselves the right way, or they don't potty train, like don't shame them. Teach them how to fail well by reflecting on it, you know, what they can do better and, and uh, helping them through that process. Not just shaming them because that'll start to make them think, why can't I get this right? You know, what's wrong with me? And some of those core beliefs that we want to refrain from, you know, why do I keep messing up? So that self-doubt we're trying to refrain from starting in this stage. So that was just my last yeah, few thoughts. I love that. I love the fail well thing. They really, that really is a good way to put it. And they really do need the opportunities to try. And that means that they are going to fail, which is good. I think we all need to learn how to fail better. 
It's time for the part of the show where we'll share a home hack. These are practical strategies that you, the parent, can put into place right now to optimize development within the context of your own home routines. So today I'm going to share with you an idea that I use all the time to give me some peace for a few moments in the kitchen, and it also fosters exploration and independence in the home. What I do is I put either um, a cat fill a cabinet or a drawer in the kitchen with just like random utensils and totally not off limits items that my kids can just absolutely raid and let them go to town while I'm cooking. So I'll put like measuring cups and spatulas and, you know, random snacks that won't just get smothered into a million (laughs) crumbly pieces, um, that my little baby can just throw around, um, and plastic bowls, things like that, um, that they can have full access to and feel like they're, you know, just getting into things because that's what little kids seem to love to do most. Um, but then, you know, it really is not a big deal for them to have those things. And you're not actually using those things daily. So you don't have to like wash them every time as to, uh, opposed to when they were actually getting into actual cabinets to play with your actual dishes that you use daily, if that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. My home hack is... I talked I was talking a lot there about the end at the end about how in order to start to foster some of this independence and autonomy, we as adults have to give up control to let our kids have some more control within them, even if they may fail. And so I'm just my home hack is just to, for parents to sit down or adults that work with kids and think of three things right now that you are doing or controlling for your kid that maybe you can give them a choice in, like we talked about the two choice thing. Or you can give them control of and let them kind of gain some of that sense of uh, autonomy. So think of three things that maybe you're doing for them right now that you can give them a choice in and help them have a little bit more control or that you can help them start to learn how to completely gain independence in that area. So Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you all for listening today. And... We will catch you next week on the Dr. Nurture podcast. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening today. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review to help others find it so that they can learn more about how to raise healthy babies that turn into healthy adults. Visit NurtureHealthHome.com for our blog and to find more information about how booking an infant wellness consultation could help you and your little one bond better and meet developmental milestones. And you can also find us on the Instagram at NurtureHealthHome. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.